Please turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 37. If you have one of the church Bibles, that's page 385. Last week, in looking at Isaiah 36, we saw that the Assyrian Empire, led by King Sennacherib, had come up against the people of Judah, and his army is now encamped outside their capital city of Jerusalem. And really, capital city isn't even a good term to use anymore because we saw last week that it was, in fact, the only city left in Judah. Sennacherib had already taken all the other cities of Israel and Samaria and Judah, and Jerusalem was the last stand. At that time, Sennacherib, speaking through his military general called the Reb Shaka, asks a very important question. In whom will you trust? Who do you think can save you? Who do you believe has the power to stop the war machine of Assyria? Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, says that no one can and no one will. Your only hope is to trust in me. But the prophet Isaiah has been saying for now 37 chapters, trust in Yahweh, the one true God. And we saw in our text last week that King Hezekiah wisely and faithfully listened to Isaiah, putting his trust, as weak as it may have been, in Yahweh. And Yahweh's response was this, Sennacherib shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. That was his promise to Hezekiah that we left our time um, on last week when we ended. And in today's text, in chapter 37, where we pick up, we'll see that that's exactly what happens. But the battle isn't over. The threat still remains, and thus still does the question, in whom will you trust? So let's pick back up in Isaiah chapter 37, starting at verse 8, to learn the conclusion of this story. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Terhaka, king of Cush, he has set, to fight, set out to fight against you. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezpah, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharium, the king of Hena, or the king of Iva? Pause there. Back in chapter 36, we were told that the Rabshakeh had come with his army from Lachish, which is presumably where the, 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 the base of the Assyrian attack, where their stronghold would be. That's where Sinatra would be. And now, at the beginning of this chapter, we see that the Rabshakeh received word, hearing that Sinatra had moved on. He's not at Lachish anymore. He's withdrawn from there to fight against Libna and Terhaka, king of Cush. 
So the Rabshakeh personally departs to, re- to report to Sennacherib based on what he has, uh, what has happened at Judah, at Jerusalem in particular. And he writes, and then Sennacherib writes a letter to Hezekiah in response to the report he hears from the Rabshakeh. So these messengers come and read this letter to him. Now, in contrast to last week, when we spent a lot of time talking about the very smooth words and persuasive speech that Sennacherib had employed in his messages, this time the letter comes with teeth, with fangs fully bared. He is no longer pretending to be the friend of anyone in Judah. He says, so you've decided to trust in Yahweh. You're a fool. Haven't you heard what I and my fathers have done to nation after nation after nation and king after king after king? Every one of them trusted in their God to deliver them. And no God has ever stopped us. You're pathetic. And your God is pathetic. And as soon as I'm done conquering Terhaka, king of Cush, I'm coming back to add, to add Hezekiah, king of Judah, to my list. Okay, Hezekiah, you've heard the words of this mighty king. And you have indeed heard, it's a fact, that Assyria has conquered nation after nation and king after king. So, in whom will you trust? Let's continue reading. Picking up at verse 14. Hezekiah received a letter from the hands of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Just as he did last week, Hezekiah's response to the threats of Sinatra is again to go to the house of the Lord, Yahweh's temple of worship. But if you recall, last time Hezekiah sent a delegation covered in sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah asking him to pray on his behalf, pray for the people of Judah. But Hezekiah sends no such delegation this time. Rather, after spreading Sennacherib's letter out before Yahweh, he then prays to Yahweh himself with no intermediary. And what a prayer it was. You are the God. You alone are the God of the kingdoms of all the earth. So look and listen to the words of Sennacherib. Yes, he and his fathers have destroyed nations and their gods because that their gods were no gods at all. They're, they're nothing. They're wood and stone. They're just these pieces of things that man have created. But you're different, Yahweh. Man didn't make you. You made them. Man did not fashion this God in their image. He fashioned them in his. 
So now, Yahweh, save us from this boastful man who was made in your image, that all the kingdom of the earth may know what we already know, that Yahweh alone is God. Yes, friends, Hezekiah is a different man in this chapter than he was in the last chapter. Last time, he seemed hesitant to even bring his requests to God. But this time, he's swinging for the fences. He's banking everything on the fact that Yahweh does hear and Yahweh does see. In whom does Hezekiah trust? There's absolutely no question. His trust is in Yahweh, who alone is God. And now... Yahweh is going to affirm that response. So let's pick up in verse 21. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has, Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have mocked the Lord. And you have said, with my many chariots, I have gone up the heights of the mountains to the far recesses of Lebanon to cut down its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses, to come to its remotest height, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank waters to dry up the sole of my foot, all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it is grown. I know you're sitting down, and you're going out and coming in, and you're raging against me. Because you have raged against me, and your complacency has come to my ears, I will put my hook in your nose, and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. Last time, Hezekiah sent men to Isaiah asking for prayer. This time, he prayed himself, and Isaiah sent men to him with an answer to that prayer. You get the sense Yahweh is really excited about this. And Yahweh's response is this, because you trusted me, Hezekiah, and prayed to me, I'm not only going to answer your prayer, I'm going to build on it. And Yahweh begins in verse 22 by letting Hezekiah in on what he would say to Sennacherib were Sennacherib listening. Yes, O great king of Assyria, you think you're about to take Jerusalem, calling her pathetic. But Jerusalem is actually shaking her head at you. You're pathetic. She's mocking you. You think you can mock me, the Holy One of Israel? Let's talk for a moment about your great feats, shall we? He says. So you've gone up great mountains with your chariots. That's impressive. That's not easy to do. Chariots aren't really designed to scale mountains. And you've cut down cedars and cypresses. Again, impressive. Those are big trees. And you've dug wells and left Egypt completely dry by your power. I do not dispute that. But 
Here's the thing, Sinatra. How'd you do all that? It was me. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned it well before your fathers and their fathers were ever, ever even conceived. And I executed it. Every tree you felled, every well you dug, and every city you took, it was me. Listen, Sinatra, oh great king, you cut, you dig, you terrorize, and you destroy. You do it all on a leash. Do you really think you have the power to make choices as you saw fit? No, you're just a pawn that I use for my purposes to do whatever I want. I know you're sitting down and you're going out and you're coming in. I know all you're raging against me. Oh yes, Sinatra, I know you. I know all of you, but you do not know me. But you will. See, my king is asking for my help. And I've overlooked your raging against me for long enough. So just as you've put fish hooks in the noses of captured kings and led them away, so I now do to you. And just as you've put bits in the mouths of unruly horses to control them, so I now do to you. See, I promised my king that you will return to your land and die there. So come now. It's time to go back the way you came. Bye-bye. From where we sit, Grace Fellowship, it may look like evil is running rampant. Evil men mock our faith. They deride our authorities. They send bombs through the mail. And they senselessly gun down innocent lives. And it may get worse. It will likely get much worse. And we can be reminded of that even today as Reese prayed for the persecuted church around the world. We know nothing of persecution here. But that day is coming. But we must recognize that Yahweh, in his infinite wisdom and for his perfect purposes, permits for a time wicked men to stretch out their hands so as to make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruin and to dismay and confound the inhabitants of many lands. And it may seem to you that Yahweh is absent or powerless or uncaring. But this text today, my friends, makes very plain to us that even the greatest and most boastful of evils are not outside his sovereign control. And this text also gives us a model in Hezekiah for how you and I might rightly plead with Yahweh to reign in the leash, to dispose of the pawn, to save us from wicked men that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that Yahweh alone is God. But Yahweh is not yet done answering Hezekiah's prayer because again, in his infinite wisdom, he does not always fully answer all of our prayers all at once. He often, however, 
gives signs that he has heard over time. So let's read the next several verses, 30 through 32, to hear about how he does that in this case. And this shall be the sign for you. This year you shall eat what grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from that. Then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In verse 30, Yahweh promises a sign. He says that this next year, Jerusalem will eat what grows of itself, and that the next year they will eat what springs from that. Now, this is easy to overlook, but it is remarkable for several reasons. And we, we must understand the particular context in which these words are being said to really appreciate it. Because see, Jerusalem is a walled city. If it were not a walled city, it would not still be there. Sennacherib would have just marched right through it and destroyed everything. But there's a big wall there. And the problem with a walled city is that all the food for that city cannot be stored within the walls. Rather, the crops and the livestock and such would be outside the walls. And when there was a threat of, uh, of, of you know, an invading army, in this case, all the people could go within the walls. But there's not room to bring the fields inside and all the livestock inside. And that means that their means of sustenance would remain outside. So one common means of capturing a walled city was simply to camp outside of it for weeks and months until the people inside starved to the point that they'd either surrender or make a very weak final assault against the invaders who would, of course, easily defeat them because the conquering army outside would have themselves been feasting on the crops and the livestock and so on and would have been in much better shape physically, mentally, and emotionally than the starving people inside who are thinking they're all going to die. Furthermore, even if the people inside a walled city were somehow able to repel the invaders, let's say through an alliance with a foreign king, and they send runners saying, come help, we're being besieged, we have no hope, please come save us. And if the king was like, well, that seems reasonable, we have an alliance, let's do this, and he comes and he rescues them, that still barely helps because the invaders would have destroyed everything they could as they leave. So that when they decide to come back and take the city again, because they usually don't just give up whatever their mission was, the people would have had no food, no livestock. They've been starting from almost nothing and it'd be much faster and easier to take them. So there's some pro tips in case you ever need to take a walled city. Now, back to the text, Yahweh says that this year, Hezekiah and his people would eat what grows of itself. And in doing so, he's making an incredible assertion. He's saying that the Assyrians would leave soon and with enough crops left behind for the people of Jerusalem to eat that year. And for some reason, the Assyrians wouldn't destroy everything as they left. And he's saying that next year, the Judeans wouldn't even have to worry about sowing new crops because he would miraculously cause a second harvest to come from last year's crops. Then finally, in the third year, Yahweh says that the people of Jerusalem could go back to their usual patterns of sowing and reaping, 
that his life would be totally normal by then, by year three, as though Assyria had never showed up at all. The biggest threat they have ever faced would not even be in the back of their minds. Wow. And even the mention of vineyards in verse 30 is really significant because vineyards take a long time to grow fruit. The only way you can enjoy the fruit of the vine is in a time of extended peace. So in verse 31, Yahweh says that the people, like the crops, can take root downward and bear fruit upward. The people who should not have survived are going to be just like those those, those crops that should not have survived. This remnant will bring forth fruit. The implication here is that the Assyrians are leaving very soon and they're not coming back ever. And if you're tempted to doubt it, Yahweh says, look to the fruit, look to the people and know that Yahweh alone is God. Now, we are not currently in a walled city. We do not have a great army encamping against us. And yet, you and I can take heart in this same truth, friends. This is a good reminder that Yahweh's promises are certain and true, even when it's hard to see that moment by moment and day by day. Sometimes, Yahweh asks us to look to the fruit, which must be considered over seasons and years. For our reminders. Now, again, we, we may not feel like we're surrounded by enemies inside our city or, or outside our city, but all of us can feel the pressures and the struggles in our lives, in singleness and in marriage, in work and in rest, in childhood and in aging, in schooling and in teaching. In all these cases, we can feel tremendous pressure. Is this going to work out? Is anything going to change? Or am I just going to struggle like this for the rest of my life? But in this text, Yahweh reminds us that sometimes we need to back up a little bit. Look not at the hours and the days, but at the fruit that is born over seasons and years. Even when it seems like change will never come, look to the fruit. If you trust in Yahweh, he will provide it. Even when you're unable to sow a thing during this difficult season in your life, look to the fruit. If you trust in Yahweh, he will provide it. But why? Why should Yahweh take care of us like that? And why should Yahweh, the one true God, care about this tiny remnant of people in this seemingly insignificant walled city of Jerusalem? The answer is found in our next few verses. Pick up at verse 33. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come in to the city or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come in to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Here, Yahweh states the the facts plainly. 
Sennacherib will not come into the city. Sennacherib will not shoot a single arrow or come at it with a single shield. He will not cast up a siege mound. What Sennacherib will do is leave. He's going to turn right around and march back the way he came. Are you hearing me, Hezekiah? Sennacherib will not come into this city. And here's why. I, Yahweh, the one true God, will defend this city to save it. For my name's sake, because I want to, and for the sake of my servant David. Now, wait a minute. David? Where'd David come from? David, the giant slayer from Bethlehem? David, the sweet psalmist of Israel? King David? King David who reigned 300 years before Hezekiah? Yes, that David. See, friends, while you and I sometimes make promises and then forget that we made them over time, Yahweh is not a man that he should forget. And Yahweh made many promises to David and about David. And in particular, he had promised that the seed of David would reign forever. David and his offspring would always be kings. That's because David was Yahweh's anointed one, his chosen one, his special one. And though the phrase anointed one may sound strange to us today, its translation is far wider known because anointed one means Messiah. It means Christ. And so when Yahweh here says that he will save Jerusalem for the sake of David, Hezekiah would have heard far more than the name of a historical person. He would have heard a whole series of promises, not only about David, but of the Messiah who was to come. And we should hear it the same way. Listen, friends, the central message of the entire Bible can be summed up in just three words. Christ is coming. The entire Old Testament from which we're reading this morning from Genesis through Malachi resounds with the promise that Christ is coming and Yahweh is doing anything and everything to bring about that promise. And the entire New Testament, which follows from Matthew through Revelation, which chronicles the life, death, and resurrection of the Christ, who is called Jesus, it further resounds with the promise that Christ is coming again. And Yahweh is doing anything and everything to bring about that promise. So even when overwhelming armies and boastful kings declare that no God has ever stopped us, Yahweh will simply move those pawns around as he sees fit so that his king can come right up the middle. And that's Jesus the Christ. Now, let's finish this chapter to learn how Yahweh does that for Hezekiah. 36 to 38. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185 thousand in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his God, Adremelech and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with the sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. Yahweh promised that the crops 
would last Jerusalem two years without sowing a thing. And he fulfilled that promise by slaughtering 185,000 invaders overnight. And those who were left, very understandably, hightailed it out of there as fast as they could go, which spared the crops. Yahweh promised that not an arrow would be shot, nor a shield raised, nor a mount erected. None were. Yahweh promised that Sennacherib would depart and die in his land, and that's exactly what we see happen here. What we may not realize, however, is that 20 years pass between verses 37 and 38. History records that Sennacherib did leave Jerusalem immediately, but he reigns for 20 years afterwards before he is killed by his sons. So over those 20 years, no doubt there were times when Hezekiah might have wondered if Yahweh was going to completely fulfill his promise. And then he'd look out over the walls and see the fruit growing in the same places where the Assyrian army used to stand. And in the same places where he saw 185,000 of them dead. And he'd think of David. And they no doubt have smiled and then contentedly gone about his day. The big question that has been laid out by Sennacherib in our text these past two weeks has been, in whom will you trust? In the beginning of this chapter, we see Hezekiah go into the house of his God and ask for deliverance, which he receives. And here at the end of this chapter, we see Sennacherib go into the house of his God as well. But he does not receive deliverance. He receives judgment. So there were two kings and two houses of worship, but only one God rescued. Only one God could, because there is only one true God. And the message of Isaiah says of that God that Yahweh judges all, but he restores all who trust his appointed king, servant, and conqueror. That king, servant, and conqueror, as we've seen, is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the offspring of David, who will reign forever. Yet the New Testament and history itself tells us that Jesus Christ was tortured, crucified, and then died on a Roman cross. But because of this promise, because Yahweh promised that the offspring of David would reign forever, Jesus did not remain dead. God raised him back to life three days later, and he reigns right now in glory forever. And so when Isaiah tells us that Yahweh judges all, he means it. All of us will be judged. Every one of us, Christians and otherwise, have chosen to run after and bow down to other gods. And they are no gods at all. And so those gods are tossed into the fire. And we will be too. Except that Isaiah also tells us that Yahweh restores all who trust his appointed king, servant, and conqueror. And so the question for us, my friends, is, in whom will you trust? 
If you have trusted in Yahweh, in his king, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, then I invite you to celebrate this by partaking of communion together this morning. And I'd like to invite the worship team to come up and get ready to lead us during that time. And we perform this ritual of communion once a month to visually remind us of what this chapter is telling us. To remind us of the work of the seed of David. To remind us of the work of Jesus Christ.